Welcome to another episode of Chapel Hill Thrill. I am joined for the second time this season by my former classmate inside Carolina's very own Jeremiah Holloway. How we doing, Jeremiah? We're doing pretty good, man. We are uh, halfway through the regular season, games-wise, and uh, you know, getting ready for basketball to join. Also, uh, it kind of has to a certain degree, man. But we are doing good. We're hanging in there, and we're we're doing what we can, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So, if you listen to this, then you probably watched the heels' emphatic win over Miami on Saturday. Absolutely huge performance. You probably kept up with live action on Friday. So we're gonna get into all those things. First, starting with the win over Miami. So it's kind of an interesting one because the last time that Jeremiah was on, we were actually talking about the kind of crappiness of the Tez Walker situation. Hmm. And now, as I'm sitting here with him today, we are getting the full Tez Walker experience. Six catches, 132 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, what do you see from Tez that just, you know, blows your mind, revolutionizes this offense? You know, what are you seeing? It's just the natural speed that he has. I mean, there was just a certain point. There were certain points in the game where it was just like the guy is just always open. Like he just is getting past people with ease. When he gets the ball, he's able to move around with it. Like the dude would just he just seemed like he was always open at times. Um when you saw the game against Syracuse, they had about 51 hours to bring him up to speed before kickoff. It was like, you know, running downstairs to talk to, uh, you know, talk with Lonnie Galloway about the different plays that could put him in. And then Friday, Chip Lindsey was trying to figure out, you know, what's the best ways and smartest ways to kind of use him in the offense. And what you saw in the Syracuse game, the threat of him, uh, you know, open things up. Like Nate McCollum actually had the big game that day. So it was just the threat of Tez Walker's speed and his abilities. But against Miami, it was actually the Tez Walker, like, coming out party. You know, it was – that was really when he was able to, to – and he had a couple opportunities against Syracuse. But, I mean, obviously last game, three touchdowns, uh, just, just you know, skating by people. Uh, you know, it was it was ridiculous. And then – but even the performance he ended up having – uh, kind of opened up the run game a little bit at a certain point. I thought the run game was good, like, all throughout the game. I really did. But I think Tess Walker opening it up made it that much, you know, scarier, I guess, as a uh, from an offensive standpoint. So, and I honestly, and I'm going to, you know, somewhat, uh, I'm not going to say brag on myself, but I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit. On the Inside Carolina podcast last week, uh, my, like, final take of that, podcast was that Tez Walker was going to have some big plays uh, against Miami because they did have the full week to bring him up to speed. And he obviously had 132 yards, um, you know, and so that individual performance, 
I don't know what the numbers are going to be for, you know, the rest of the season. You're not going to get maybe 100 yards every game, but um, that's the type of play that can keep you in that can keep you around in a lot of games and win you even more games probably. Uh, but we saw it in full effect on Saturday. For sure. I mean, to me, that's what makes this team so special is the only teams in college football that have the luxury that UNC has right now on the offensive side of the ball are typically teams that make the playoff and are contenders. Most teams in college football are one-dimensional. They either can't run and can an air raid, or they can't pass and they are very run heavy. Mm. UNC is so unique in that you kind of saw it on Saturday. If you're not going to load the box, Omarion Hampton had we'll, – we'll round up three yards to give the benefit of the doubt. Basically, his <laughs> second 200-yard game of yeah, the season. Yeah, he was close. Yeah. So, if you don't load the box, that happens. Mm. And if you do load the box, you're leaving – the corners weak to these Tez Walker, Nate McCullum, Kobe Paysauer, JJ Jones bombs downfield. And it's just such a unique attack. Okay. It's very pro style. It's very NFL like. And we're also seeing Drake is willing to literally do whatever it takes mm -hmm. to win. He's had the two 400 yard games now. He's had the games like he had on Saturday where the yards aren't necessarily high, but he's taking what the defense gives him. It's it's a perfect storm. I mean, we'll talk about this, which is insane. We kind of brought it up a little bit before we started recording, but do you think this already is or has the potential to be the greatest Carolina football team we've ever seen? Mm. historical historical spec well first of all i want to say you made a really good point about unc avoiding being one-dimensional when you look at the first six games unc with british brooks actually not even hampton the first game with british brooks ran all over the place against south carolina uh drake i mean he wasn't bad he did have two interceptions he threw a couple touchdowns as well app state marion ran all over the place Against uh, Minnesota, that was Drake's first 400 game. That's when Nate McCollum had his true return. And then I thought Pittsburgh was, you know, Drake again being able to really throw it on them. But what you saw in the last two games, they did it all. Like the last two games were both like you can't stop the run and you can't stop the pass, which I think actually said a lot because I thought Syracuse and Miami were – probably the two best play, you know, teams they've probably played to this point. I mean, just the caliber of opponents that they are on paper. Um, as far as an all-time perspective on that, I don't know. What people probably say, I mean, the last time they won the ACC was 1980. The last time that they were eight, you know, undefeated to this point was 97 when they actually started off 8-0. Um, if you go back over 100 years ago, they had a 1914 team that was undefeated for a little bit. So, like, I think what would make this the best team ever as far as UNC history, they would have to win the ACC. I think they would have to win whatever bowl game. They, I mean, if they made the college football playoff, I mean, that would be it. I mean, I think part of me still thinks it's a little bit early for that. Like, I think, you know, especially for someone I've seen that has not made it before, 
Um, I would probably like to see them beat Duke and maybe beat a Clemson before I go there. Obviously, win the ACC championship before I go there. Um, does it have the potential? I think it has potential. The only reason, though, not the only reason, one of the big reasons is because how much the defense has improved. I'm not even saying that it's an elite college football defense, uh, but they have playmakers on that side of the ball. They really do. Um, points per game wise, they're giving up fewer points, much fewer points than they did last year. Um, and it's enough to win them games when the offense is obviously going out there getting 40, whatever, uh, you know, or 30 or 30, whatever, in some cases, that's the main difference. Like, can your defense kind of give your offense an opportunity to really get going and, you know, even the ability to make mistakes, but honestly, UNC has won the turnover battle and excuse me, in almost every game, uh, I think, it was against South Carolina that they didn't win it. But other than that, they haven't lost the tournament battle many times. Uh, so, yeah, it's like, you know, we're, we are halfway through. And I think the Miami win was a big win. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But um, I kind of want to wait a little bit and just kind of see what types of, you know, team. Like, and also just how they re respond to adversity. I thought against App State, that was the only game that they really almost lost, uh, you know, that was that was definitely a close call. But in these ACC games that carry so much weight, like is Georgia Tech is Georgia Tech going to challenge them again? I don't know. We'll see. They certainly have that capability, especially the fact that this game in a couple of weeks is going to be at home. Um, so they have opportunity, I think, to put themselves right in the mix. If you start off half of the season, halfway through the season at six and zero, and you're the first team to do that in 26 years, uh, I think that bodes well for your chances for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it well with the adversity. I just – I am a little concerned about the fact that they've gotten through the first six games, which was, you know, in totality, was probably the toughest chunk of the schedule. Obviously, you have the final three stretch, which is yeah. worse, but that – there wasn't really an easy game necessarily in the first six. And I just think that this middle stretch here where they're about to go Virginia at home at Georgia Tech and then Campbell, I don't want the fact that they don't have what many consider would be a good opponent on the schedule for the next three weeks. I don't want that to distract them from the mid from the goal and you know i think that's just a stain that other teams have left on my brain i mean i would like to think this team is different and i hope that they are different but the georgia tech game i mean that's mm -hmm. like ptsd like <laughs> it's you you're just you're almost as unc fans we've almost been programmed to not get too excited and sit and sit and wait and eventually they're going to lay a dud and I'm hoping this team is different mm -hmm. because this is a three game stretch where you should come out of it nine and oh, right. right. And then you've got the ultimate kind of gauntlet to run the table at the end of the year. And that's really when we get to see, you know, what this team is made of. Are they, are they going to be able to really gut it out? And if they are a playoff team, that means they're going to have to win against Duke, at Clemson, at State, yeah. probably against Florida State in the ACC championship. 
And then on top of that, they're going to have to play again in the playoff against whoever. So I'm really, really hoping this team is different in the sense that they don't get ahead of themselves and get too cocky. And I think that Mac Brown, I think that Drake may they've done a good job of kind of keeping everyone on a week to week basis and not looking too far ahead. Mm. But, you know, that being said, is it like if you were ranking these last six games in terms of which which game would you be least surprised by North Carolina losing? Mm. Are you most scared of at Georgia Tech? Are you most scared of Duke at home? Or are you most scared of at Clemson? Um, the game I think they'd be most likely to lose. That's a good. That's actually a good question. Um, not the other questions haven't been good, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I mean if, if really they lost at you know at Clemson because that's not that's not e- that's not an easy place to play. Um, ironically, it's actually kind of funny. The one time I've been at Death Valley, I was still covering South Carolina. So the one time I've been at Death Valley, Clemson actually lost the game. And that was actually their first loss in like 40. That that had been their first loss in 40 games, like at home. So they had a 40 game win streak and they actually hadn't lost to an ACC opponent at home since like 2016. And, uh, that streak just ended at Florida State, so Florida State just ended that. Um, but anyway, I mean, Clemson is a team that they're still – they're not in the mix for winning the ACC, but they're still a team that any week they can still beat you. They've seen – UNC is obviously not a team that they see every year, but um, obviously Dabble has been in the league for you know a while, and even last year in the ACC championship game – I know both of those teams are, you know, pretty different now, but, you know, Clemson did have the upper hand in that last matchup. Um, You know, Clemson hasn't necessarily popped off, jumped off the page in any of the games they played to me. Um, They did challenge a really talented Florida State team at home. A Florida State team that I would actually have to say right now is better than North Carolina. Um, So that wouldn't really surprise me. That's a tough place to play. That's that's not – that's not even the easiest team to beat. They're not a top 25 team, but I mean, if you saw what happened with Florida State, you would have to believe. But, you know, I think right after that, I actually am going to put Georgia Tech at three only because, you know what? No, I'll put Georgia Tech at two. I'll put Georgia Tech at two because North Carolina's really played well at home. That's given them, that's given them a good lift. Um I think Riley Leonard should be back by that point. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but the way UNC's kind of been able to run the ball and control the clock, that helps you against a good defensive team if, obviously, you are successful at doing those things. Um, and also, they're not as worried about how they win just as far as, you know, the fact that they do win. Um, I think that's going to be of aid to them this year. Georgia Tech, I'll put it to you're on the road. That's going to be Georgia Tech's bowl game, Super Bowl, whatever. I need to check Georgia Tech's record. They probably end up in a – but either way, that's still a – that's a heightened, elevated game for Georgia Tech. I do wonder, and this is 
probably a question that's going to come up a lot next week in our press conferences. You know, is there a get back element when you play in again when you're playing against Georgia Tech because of what happened last year? Like, is that there? Is that something they've brought it up? Like, they have brought up even without you know mention from you know questions. You know, they've brought up the Georgia Tech game and they've said, hey, we remember losing to Georgia Tech. And they say we remember losing four straight. And obviously that's where it all started. So um, it's funny, like even though Georgia Tech's not one of the most talented teams that they'll face, it's just like the idea of it and just the symbolism of that's where everything started to go wrong. Uh, You know, that's all still there. And so beating Georgia Tech, um, you know, that would probably, in some ways, it would say a lot. Like, it doesn't move them up higher in any, you know, postseason expectations, but it would just say, okay, this is a team that went there, handled their business. Because if they go to Georgia Tech and handle their business, then it's like, okay, clearly the mindset is different. I think it's pretty obvious now that the mindset is different. But I think that's, that's just, like, the ultimate, like, symbolism of, like, you know, if you're North Carolina, you turn this thing around. So I would honestly, I would honestly go. Clemson would be the least surprising of if they lost. Georgia Tech would be the second least surprising, and then Duke would probably be, quote unquote, the most surprising if they were to lose. Yeah, I. That's kind of where, where I'm at. It's like a win over Georgia Tech. You know, isn't shocking. For anyone else, it isn't anything that's going to move you up in the AP poll or the CFP rankings. But it's just one of those games that over the years, UNC just, they don't show up for. And that's all I want to see. Like, each game that they are a heavy favorite and they win convincingly Mm. gives me more confidence in this group because that's just something they've struggled with. Like, I mean, they're 23 and a half point favorites this weekend. So that's going to be, uh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, if, I, if I can real quick, if I could say something off of that point, cause I'm glad that you brought it up. The reason being a lot of times we do talk about the schedules and who a team's played and everything else. To me, that's less of a problem when you're doing what you're supposed to do. Like if you're beating, um, if you're beating Pittsburgh by more than one touchdown, if you're beating Minnesota by multiple touchdowns, if you're beating Syracuse, and I didn't even think that game was going to be that much of a blowout. Like, if you're taking care of business, it's not as much of a concern to me. Like, it would be more of a concern if they – like, for example, the App State game, when it was a six-point game. I know the App State games are always a little bit crazy, but that was one where it's like, I mean, I mean come on. Like, you're you're a much better team than App State, but like in any of these other games, like these power five games um, where you look at it and say, Hey, UNC is a better team and they win convincingly. Well, that says, I mean, that's to say a lot. I think to people like, you know, they're, they're a team that handles business. We've seen, I mean, even Florida state. And like I said, I think, um, you know, probably overall Florida state is still better than North Carolina. Florida state's has some close ones against some teams that, you wouldn't really expect to be close with, um, namely the Boston College game, uh, which was, you know, which was still early, as was the App State game for UNC. Um, but, yeah, if they were winning these games like 30 to 28, if they were winning them 17 to 14, all right, that would be one thing. But they've 
gotten 30s and 40s every game, you know. Now, if they go out against Miami, I mean, against, like, Virginia, and it's, like, you know, 23 to 20, or they lose, then that's where more about. But if they go into Virginia, take care of business, you know, if you want, if if you're a North Carolina fan and you want UNC to be in consideration for, you know, making the playoff and things like that, well, they have to handle business against a team like Virginia. Like, yeah, like you should go to Virginia and win by like, you know, three touchdowns. Like it should be something like that. Um, but you, I mean, who knows? Like, you know, the players, they're not, you know, avatars, like they're real, you know, people. So everything doesn't always go exactly, but yeah, just looking at it, you should say, yeah, you know, this is a game where UNC should win convincingly. And as long as they keep doing that, I think it's valid to look at North Carolina and say, hey, like, this is a team that's legit. Maybe they could be in the mix down the line. I don't know. They would obviously have to be undefeated for that to happen because, like, the reality is, no, they don't have a ton of playoff contenders and, and everything on their on their schedule. But the Miami win goes a long way, and if they can get Duke and Clemson – then I think those are big resume wins for sure. Yeah, and that's um, kind of the last football point I wanted to talk about was Pitt, the team that we beat really badly, actually helped us a decent bit on Saturday uh, yeah, yeah. by beating Louisville um, in terms of ACC title hopes because there was nothing we were going to be able to do about Louisville because we're not playing them. So it's like <laughs> if they were just going to run the table, I mean – we were going to have to go undefeated. We've got a little bit of a little bit of leeway, but yeah, um, the pit win looks even better now, and <laughs> that's just my thing, man. Um, I had Tommy Ashley on a couple weeks ago, and he was basically saying the difference between this UNC team and all the other ones is simple to him, and it's just the motto taking care of business mm. they're just taking care of business and that's something that is amazing to see and it's not like i mean you know they only win the miami game by 10 but a lot of that was a product of you know your score late one four you soften up a little bit on defense like yeah. you're not really playing the same i mean that was a huge win. And then it's like what you did to Syracuse. I mean, you, you know, you, you look at it from the perspective of I agree with you in the, in the fact that Florida State's probably a little better right now. But, you know, you beat Syracuse 40-7. to seven. You watch a team like Florida State. What do they do to Syracuse? 41-3. to three. So it's like yep. th- they're leaving their – they're leaving their their footprint. You know, they're they're leaving that mark of, hey, we're going to keep blowing teams out. Obviously, we are going to play close games against good – like, I don't expect them to beat Duke by, like, 17 or anything right. like that, but they're blowing the teams out that they should, and it's it's a very promising sight to see, and they're just, they're just able to do it in so many ways. Like, they can get to the quarterback. They can create turnovers. They can beat you in the air. They can beat you on the ground. It truthfully is just an absolutely well-rounded football team. Like there's not – there's parts that are weaker than others, but there isn't like a fatal flaw like there has been in years past. And it's great to see. Um, another thing that was great to see is live action on mm-hmm. Friday. So got a few takeaways 
myself, but we'll start simple. Who is the guy that you came away from live action like, okay, he's as advertised? I thought when I watched Elliot Cadeau play, um, that was the player that I was most interested in watching for that particular game. Now, let me preface this by saying, you know, Live action, there is value in watching it in, you know, hey, like this is at the Dean Dome and, you know, it, but it's so funny. Like they're playing against each other, you know, so you're really watching like practice. I mean, it's a scrimmage and they build it as a scrimmage and, and everything like that. Um, but it's still an opportunity to see what guys do in quote unquote game situations. There's refs, there's officiating, they call fouls, they shoot free throws, they you know call turnover all of that so like all of that is game situation and honestly for some players you're not going to see them in that you know scenario very much maybe in the exhibition you might but for the most part i mean you're not going to see some of these guys playing the types of minutes that they play um so that's my preference but preface but when i watch Elliot Cadeau, it's a player that he's a player that's very aggressive offensively um you know some of the shots he took you're like kind of like, eh, maybe, maybe not, maybe not, right? Um, but you know, the fact that he has a willingness to um, you know, go out there, take take some risks. Obviously, the passing was certainly as advertised. Uh, and that's probably the most special part about his game because you can't really even teach just the passing ability, um, the instincts that come with that. I mean, it's, it's hard to really teach somebody that. Um, he has a lot of explosiveness. The the key for him is just gonna be, you know knowing when to use it at times, especially in the half court. That's really, you know, especially in the half court. But, I mean, if he can really utilize that pull-up mid-range shot, I think that's a big shot. I'm, I'm a I'm a big fan of the mid-range shot, like, you know, just generally speaking. Like, you know, I definitely when – I, when I watched the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs this year and it was KD and Booker just a bunch of mid-range shots, like I was a really big fan of that. I really was. Like, you know, especially, I guess, those first four games or whatever it was. Uh, before the series, you know, uh, started to kind of, uh, I guess that would have been the Denver series uh, before the series kind of got out of hand. But anyway, uh, to stay back on topic, I think Elliot Cadeau with his athleticism and his aggressiveness, that really stood out to me. Um, Cormac Ryan, I think, is going to have a really good year for them. I think his ability to stretch the floor uh, certainly stands out. I thought, and they have some energy guys, like a James O'Conquo was out there as an energy guy. Uh, Jaden High, same thing, was able to get some rebounds. Like Armando didn't have a ton of rebounds. I mean, this is the all time, obviously, UNC leading rebounder. And like I said, he's playing against guys that he sees in practice all the time. So they know how to, you know, they know his tendencies a little bit. But, um, you know, a lot of those guys were able to kind of battle him out and get some of those rebounds. Um, but yeah, I think Cadeau stood out for sure. And, um, you know, Next week is when they have their exhibition game against uh, St. Augustine. So um, may little, you know, excuse me, may learn a little bit more there. Just, you know, the different rotations that they're going to want to use. And, you know, but you never know with that stuff. Last year, I covered South Carolina women's basketball and like the starting lineup in their exhibition game wasn't the same. I mean, there were some players that started an exhibition game that like, you know, didn't play some games. Right. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, you're always just kind of trying stuff out, but uh, we'll see. But I think Cadeau is probably the player um, that stood out. Yeah, I obviously loved watching Cadeau. Super high expectations for him. I think he's 
if not an immediate starter, a guy who's starting by the time we get to conference play, for sure. I just think him and RJ will play off of each other very, very nicely. Um, but yeah, the biggest you know takeaway in terms of shock for me was definitely Zayden High because we'd heard a little bit of buzz about him impressing and surprising in practice so far. Yep. Um, I, I, ex- I expected Cadeau to be pretty good. I knew Oconquo was going to have the energy because they interviewed him and the man literally said that he, he just, you know, loves blocking shots, which is such a weird thing to hear a college athlete say they're like all about scoring and other stuff. But Zayden High was like, he's a strong rebounder. He's aggressive finishing around the rim. He's just, I think he's one of those guys where it's like going to be really hard to not play, give him some minutes. And I think that is a benefit of this team compared to teams of years past is the front court depth has been a little shaky at times and it's pretty much been if Armando gets in foul trouble we're in trouble this year I think they actually have a deep front court and I think that's going to bode very well especially when you are playing teams that might go a little bigger playing teams that have a lot of depth but yeah it's um it's going to be interesting to see yeah. Kind of which one of the motor men between Aconquo and Zayden High ends up winning the minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's gonna be interesting. Like, yeah. I am excited though. I think this this team has a fresh identity, fresh roster, fresh start, and they brought the you know, the core pieces back. Um yeah, I'm yeah. Well, real quick on that, um, when this is true for all the transfers they brought in, uh, but let me just kind of say this on like the front court. Um, when you look at, and we'll say the four and the five for the sake of argument, uh, Jalen Withers, he might play both three and four, but let's say for the sake of argument, we'll have him, we'll say, we'll call him a four, and we'll call Harrison Ingram a four. Um, and we'll even and James O'Connell is going to be one of the two, but Ingram and Withers were starters where they just came from. So you saw them a lot. They're players you had a game plan for, you know. In, well, in the case of Withers um, and O'Connell, he wasn't a starter, but you saw. I mean, he got minutes of, uh, at West Virginia, and so that's the big difference from you know the last two seasons where Hubert had these freshmen that. We never really learned how good they truly were because they never got a ton of burn and a ton of reps and like as far as like in game. So the main difference now is we've seen these players like at different schools and what they can do. And I think what that does, that gives Hubert an added level of trust in those players, which makes it interesting to me to see where does a Zayden High fit in as such a young guy. Uh and where and what do you do with Jalen Washington? Because if your center depth is Baycott, Washington, you have to go ahead and say Zayden High. Maybe he has a shot to get in that mix. I don't know. Um, if they like the energy that he brings and in the hustle, and then if you want to consider a Conquo a five because of the way he rebounds. So, yeah, there's definitely going to be – I think there's a heightened familiarity with 
what the players can do. And that might lead to Hubert Davis being more comfortable to, you know, give certain players, you know, chances in game. You can't play everybody. I think that's something that, I mean, realistically, for most of the season, I mean, if you're if your rotation is going further than seven, eight players, I mean, that's not that doesn't happen a ton, especially when you get to like tournament time, especially if you just even if you're a box score watcher, you know, you'll go to the box score and you'll see like seven or eight players in March in a March Madness game really playing in a game, like really playing more than like 10 minutes. Um, so we'll certainly see what they want to do with that. Front court. I don't think they'll have as much of a problem with the guards. I think the guards is like, all right, like start RJ. Elliot comes off the bench. You want to start Paxson or Ryan, and the other one comes off the bench. I don't think it's much of an issue. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. Um, but that's yeah, that's kind of that. That was another thing I had. It's like I feel bad because I like the kid, but I do think Seth Trimble has to be the Trimble. odd man out. Seth Trimble. Um, that's going to be the thing because he plays really good defense, and that is kind of what gets him on the court. But how is he going to be able to stay on the court? Now, he actually was, you know, talking with uh, Adam Smith, obviously, at Inside Carolina uh, with me, and he was talking about how he reworked his jump shot and some of the different things he wants to be able to do with that. The open practice that we went to, Seth didn't practice, and then live action, Seth didn't play. So, you know, we haven't really gotten the chance to see it, it, you know, exactly what it looks like. Um, But it's going to be tough for him to, um, you know, get convinced, convincingly get minutes over those other guys. But, you know, if he does get opportunities to go out there, you know, it's going to be for defense, you know, it's going to be. So we'll see if his offensive game has stepped up to a certain extent, uh, then, you know, it's probably a different conversation, but just as far as the way that some of those new guys can shoot it uh, and, and with how explosive Elliot Cadeau is, that's going to be, that's going to be a tough one. But uh, I think it's a much deeper team for sure. Yeah, and I think it's just going to be interesting, you know, to use the those first five games before you get into the meat of your non-conference and then you get into conference, those first five games, kind of feeling out the rotation. Yeah. I'm excited to see which direction Hubert ends up going, but I'm also just – I'm just excited about a fresh identity and a fresh start after last year because, you know, we want to forget last year that was a uh, disaster class, but I'm 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 impressed with what with what Hubert was able to accomplish in terms of rebuilding the roster, and you know I think that this is a good group. I think this is a group that should be a top three team in the ACC, and only time will tell. But it just felt nice to get a little bit of a. A little bit of a snippet of some UNC hoops. Uh, but don't worry. It doesn't mean we're going to forget about the football guys, especially if they're going to keep winning. we we got to have time for both. But, Jeremiah, absolute pleasure, as no, always. No. You know the drill. Plug yourself. Let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work before we get out of here. Yeah. My Twitter is JXHolloway. Or I think I did that last time I said Twitter, and I guess it's X now. But JX Holloway on that platform and then uh, InsideCarolina.com and you can find everybody that, you know, you can find my stuff. You can find Tommy Ashley's and Adam Smith's and Greg Barnes, everybody like that. Uh, So go ahead and, you know, definitely check that out. And we'll be, you know, 
in full effect this year, obviously with football and basketball. We we have a big team, which is which is helpful in that. But uh, that's where you can find the work, man. Yeah, obviously, go go tap into Jeremiah, especially if you are a UNC sports fan. I mean, he's covering everything. Inside Carolina is doing a heck of a job covering everything as well. Like, it's basically a must follow if you're a UNC sports fan. They are all must follows. I can vouch. Appreciate but <laughs> another absolutely incredible episode, incredible time talking with Jeremiah. You guys know the drill. Stay safe this week. Enjoy what's hopefully a Carolina dub to lead us to 7-0. and Stay safe and just keep cheering on every athletic program at UNC. And we will see y'all next week. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.